Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. 1 Samuel chapter 12. Instead of rebuking the Israelites anymore at this point, Samuel's already done a pretty good job of that, he's going to start taking a little bit of, of a different approach here now. The people had demanded their earthly king. God gave it to him. He chose the king for him. He chose the one that they really wanted. Somebody was tall, handsome, and looked the part. But God warned him, remember, through Samuel, of what it was going to really be like and how it would go. But since Saul was the king now, God graciously worked through him and gave them a a victory. Remember, it wasn't Saul's wisdom. It wasn't his might. It wasn't his strength. It was the Holy Spirit coming upon him. But now, there is no going back. Even though they realized, oh, we blew it here, there's no going back. This is what's happened. You wanted a king, you got your king. Here we go. But now God's going to give them some rules to be followed here. And I think this is really interesting. Verse 13. He says, Now, therefore, here's the king that you have chosen, whom you have asked for, and behold... The Lord has set a king over you. So he's saying, okay, it's a done deal now. God wanted him to know, this is the guy. You don't have to look around anymore. This is the one. There's no doubt in anyone's mind. I gave him a big victory so you could be sure that this is the king you wanted. But now God wants something else. In verse 14 he says, If you will fear the Lord and serve him and listen to his voice and not rebel against the command of the Lord, then both you... And also the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. In other words, he's saying, okay, what's past is past. This is where we are now. This is what I want you to do. You do this, things will go well. So this is lesson number two for us. When we blow it, when we mess up, when we do something other than look for God's provision and make a choice, And then we come to the Lord in repentance. Then God will forgive and God will work. God's going to say, okay, you messed up, but that's over and done with now. Let's move on. Let's go ahead. Here's what I want you to do now. This is an amazing thing, isn't it? When we mess up, but we come to the Lord and say, okay, I blew it, God. Help me to do it right the next time. He says, okay, that's over and done with. Let's go ahead. Here's what I want you to do. First John says that when we sin against the Lord and we come to Him in repentance, He is faithful and just to forgive us. But what's next? And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He says, let's put it in the past. Let's move on. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to cleanse you. I'm going to give you another opportunity. Too many of us, folks, too many of us live in the past, regretful of the mistakes that we've made. And when we do, it keeps us from doing what God wants us to do next. When we're continually beating ourselves up over the mistakes that we have made. We can allow the enemy to get in there, to invade our mind, to bring up all the mistakes of the past, and we get in the tank, and then we don't do what God wants us to do. We get paralyzed, so to speak. The Apostle Paul spoke to this in Philippians uh, chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. He says, look, forgetting what lies behind 
and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. God, I want you to hear me clearly on this. God does not want us dwelling on past disobedience, but instead looking forward to future obedience. I'm going to say it again. You might want to write it down. God does not want us dwelling on past disobedience, but instead to look forward to future obedience. So instead of thinking about how many times I've blown it in the past, what he wants you to do is go, okay, let's look at what I want you to do next, and then look forward to going, wow, this time I get to be obedient. This time I get to do what God wants me to do. I don't need to keep thinking about what I did in the past. So God's doing this with the children of Israel. He's laying it out. Okay, let's put it in the past now. Here's what I want you to do. Now, he tells them that, but he also gives them a warning. And maybe God wants to give us the same warning. Verse 15, he says, If you will not listen to the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the command of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was your fathers. Now, this is in particular the children of Israel. We need to be careful about paralleling that because we're in the age of grace. And yet, you know, it doesn't change the law of consequences. When we mess up, there are usually consequences to pay. Amen? There, there are. And so that doesn't change. But God's laying out here the consequences of disobedience to the children of Israel. And here's what's really cool. He's going to put this big, fat exclamation point on what he's saying here. Look at verse 16. He says, even now, take your stand. Again, stand up so you can see this. Take your stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Now, one of the things and reasons this is so cool is because, remember I said, they've heard of a lot of the miracles and things that God has done, but they may not have experienced them. But guess what? God's giving them a new chance. He's giving them an opportunity. And again, he's going to punctuate this with what he's doing here. In verse 17, he says this. Is not the wheat harvest today? Samuel says, I will call to the Lord that he may send thunder and rain. Then you will know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord by asking for yourselves a king. Verse 18, so Samuel called to the Lord and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly, what? Feared the Lord. Fear not what man can do to you, but fear, reverence the Lord. And it says they feared Samuel too. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes that prophet is going to get that kind of respect when he, what he says comes true. So God wanted to make sure that they all knew that he was speaking through Samuel. And that's like I said before, Samuel was not retiring. Samuel was still the priest and prophet of Israel. He's going to leave it here that there can be no doubt in their mind that this is what he wants them to do and, and he proves it by what he does here. So, lesson three for us tonight. God has given us all we need to be able to to trust Him. God has given us all we need to be able to trust Him. He was giving these people apparently what they needed. Maybe they needed that little boost. Like I said, it had been a long time. 
maybe since they'd seen a real miracle of God. Um, although they probably should have realized that when they won that last victory. But they may not have. They may have thought, yeah, see, we chose this King Saul. Look, he delivered. They may not have been thinking it was God that really did the work. But God has given us already all that we need to be able to put our trust completely in him. How can I say that? Well, first of all, we have the the sheer word of prophecy. The Bible can be declared true on one basis and one basis alone, if need be. And that is the basis of prophecy fulfilled. Name me one other book in the history of the world that you can look at and say how many things that were written thousands of years ago have come to pass. There is no other book, but there is one. We have the sure word of prophecy. It should leave us no doubt that God's entire word is true. He's proven himself over and over and over again by the fulfillment of prophecy. Now, we tend to talk a lot about faith, putting our trust in him, in a way as if it were this blindness to what we could look around and see and that we could understand. But even though we can't, we should just believe it anyway. Well, there is a point and there is a measure of faith that we have to have because we can't see and understand everything. But certainly, that's not the case with the Bible. That's not the case in our life, that there's this blindness that we don't know anything and we just believe it to believe it. That would be foolishness, to not have any evidence or any proof and just believe it to believe it. That's not the case here. God's given us more than ample evidence of His existence, of his power, of his majesty, of his love, and of his plan for our salvation. Now you might look at it and say, well, yeah, but I didn't see anything like, I've never seen anything like a guy get up and say, okay, God's going to show you that he means what he says, because right now I'm going to tell you it's going to thunder and rain, and then thunder and rain came down. I'm going to venture to guess that probably none of you have seen that. Yes, you have. Yes, you have. Romans 1 tells us that the creation that we look at every single day is proof of God's existence. When we get out and we look at the majesty of His creation, there should be no doubt in anyone's mind. And I'll tell you this, if it wasn't for worldly wisdom, there wouldn't be any doubt in people's mind. I want you to think about that. If people were not having it drilled into their minds that I don't care what you see out there, nobody designed that. He would never think that. I worked with high school kids for 37 years. I'm telling you that until they had it drilled out of them, those kids did not believe in evolution. They believed in creation. Those kids could look around and go, somebody had to make that. It couldn't just have come out of nothing. God has given us all the proof we need. Beyond the proof of creation, he's given us the life of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. His life itself is actual proof to us of who he is. Take a look at all the prophecies that were fulfilled about him. I think it's 330 in one day or or that, and then there's many others in that. You can find some of those books that have all those statistics in them. It's amazing. His life-fulfilled prophecy That in itself is proof. What about his working of miracles? And people go, oh, they didn't really happen. You know, when people tell you that, instead of having them put you on the defensive, you go prove it. Show me where it didn't happen. 
because you can find it in secular historical books, nobody denies that this guy did miracles. The people who put him to death certainly didn't deny that he did miracles. Not even the Romans thought that he didn't do miracles. They knew that he'd done miracles. They watched it. What about those Roman guards? One of them had his ear cut off. You think he didn't believe in miracles? Because guess what? Somebody stuck a back on there. They believed in miracles. That's a ridiculous argument to say there weren't any miracles. It has no validity whatsoever. And then lastly, of course, there's his resurrection. His resurrection. Oh, he didn't really rise from the dead. Really? Prove it. Because guess what? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people have tried. Do you think after 2,000 years of people who don't want to believe this, that somebody wouldn't have come up with a way to make sure that it didn't happen? A lot of people have tried. Many of them have come back Christians. We know their stories. So we have all the evidence, all the proof that we need that God's word is true. He is who he says he is. And we can put our trust and faith of him. So in essence, he's given us so much proof, but it does say that we cannot please the Lord without faith. The Bible tells us that, right? So, so we do have to have faith. But think about it. It's not very much faith. In fact, the faith that we need to have is as big as that little tiny mustard seed, about that big. If we have that faith, we can move mountains. We can certainly accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior with faith the size of a mustard seed. That's all we need. He's given us so much proof. We only need that little tiny bit of faith. But we do need that. Well, moving on, the people do repent of their sin. Verse 19, it says, Then all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, so that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins this evil by asking for a king, ourselves, for asking for ourselves a king. Now that's a pretty good prayer. That's a pretty good bit of repentance there. They're not only just saying, okay, we blew it with this, but they said, we've added to all our other sins. They recognized that they were in rebellion in many other ways to the Lord as well. And so they're asking Samuel to pray for them so God won't kill them. That's repentance. That's turning it around. Now, Here's what's really neat. Verse 20. Samuel begins to encourage them. Samuel said to the people, get this, do not fear. Do not fear. You have committed all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. As we said earlier, God's going to give him another chance. And, and look what he says. Yes, you have committed all this evil. You know, when you go to the Lord in repentance, don't take it back. Don't go and go, Lord, I'm so sorry for what I did. I know it was terrible and everything, but, you know, but it was that woman you gave me. But, but it was that serpent. No, no, no buts. When you repent, repent and leave it there. Know that you have committed the evil. Fess up to it. But then he says, but regardless of this, don't turn aside from following the Lord, but instead serve the Lord with all your heart. So now is your second chance. Don't turn aside from the Lord anymore. Don't turn this way. Don't turn that way. Straight ahead to the Lord. And now 
Serve the Lord with what? All your heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your strength, your soul, your mind. That's what he's telling him. Here's your chance. But once again, he gives another warning. Verse 21. You must not turn aside, for then you would go after futile things, things which cannot profit or deliver because they are futile. You know, I looked at that and I went, boy, is that the truth or what? Last lesson. Whenever we turn aside from the Lord, we end up going after futile things. Whenever we turn aside from the Lord, we end up going after futile things. We, we go after things that are not going to deliver what they say they're going to deliver. Remember the book of Ecclesiastes that we went through with Pastor Michael. Remember what Solomon said time and time and time again. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Everything under the sun is vanity. Meaning everything apart from the Lord is vanity. That's what's being said here. When we're going after things that are not of the Lord, we're chasing our tail, so to speak. We're chasing after things that are not going to satisfy. They're not going to deliver what they say they're going to deliver. Now, I know that you, like me, have probably been there in your Christian walk. There's times when we've been on fire for the Lord, and there's times where we seem to decide that we're going to just turn aside a little bit this way or that way, and we begin to kind of chase after worldly things. And I don't know what it is for you. For all of us, it's different. For, for some people, I, I would say one of the biggest temptations to turn aside from the Lord is materialism, especially in our country today. It's, it's that thought of, I want to be secure, and so I've got to make more. I've got to make more. I've got to make sure I have enough for my kids. I've got to make sure everything's taken care of. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to take care of your family and to work hard and to do those things. But... You know as well as I do. You can turn aside to materialism to the point where you're not following the Lord anymore. You're following the material things. I had a really good friend. He was the first guy that I knew that kind of grew up with. Uh, he had played football at my school, graduated two or three years ahead of me. And we kind of looked up to this guy because he was a good player and a smart guy and everything. In fact, he talked me into becoming a waterless cookware salesman one summer. Anybody know what that is? Waterless cookware. It's an awesome product. I mean, you, you get this stuff. You cook your vegetables. There's no water. So you cook a carrot. And it tastes like a fresh carrot, except it's soft. Oh, I'm getting back to my spiel here. Okay. I didn't do very well, by the way, selling waterless cookware. But he was one of those kind of guys. He was the first guy I knew that made a million dollars. And now we're talking back in the early 70s. A million dollars was a pretty big deal back then. And... Um, Many years later, he was coaching with us, and he, again, got me into one of his schemes, or tried to get me into one of his schemes. But he was different. He was a different guy. And we were sitting at dinner one night, and I remember him telling me, he goes, you know, um, I was a Christian, but I got in my mind that the goal of my life was to become a millionaire. I wanted to be a millionaire. And I pushed, and I pushed, and I pushed, 
and I became a millionaire. And once I got there, I realized one million would never satisfy me. I need to look for two. And at some point in time, and really I think it was when he had problems in his marriage, he began to realize, what am I doing? What he was saying is, I've turned aside from the Lord, and and I've gone into materialism. I've looked for something that can never, ever satisfy. And for many of us, that's it. Some of us look to other things. Some of us will even look to our family. I'm going to put everything into my family. My family is it. And my family becomes my God rather than God becoming my God. Some of you put your profession and you turn aside and I'm going to find all my happiness and all my satisfaction in my profession. I'm going to get to the top. You know what I'm talking about. And you know if you've ever done it as a Christian. You know, Maybe you did that before you were a Christian. But if you've done it as a Christian, you know it will never satisfy. It will never deliver the things that you think it's going to deliver. But the good news is God does deliver. Verse 22, it says, For the Lord will not abandon his people on account of his great name, because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for himself. Verse 23, Moreover, as for me, far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, but I will instruct you in the good and right way. Now, this is pretty cool because Samuel, again, he could have been offended that God was removing him from the judgeship. He's already gone out and proved that he was faithful, he was true to the Lord, he had done right before the people, and yet he was having to step down from this position. But this shows the true integrity of Samuel the prophet. Instead of being angry at them now for all they'd done, God had forgiven them, God was giving them a second chance, Samuel was going to do the same thing. He says, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. But he says, I'm going to do one more thing for you. I'm still the priest and I'm still the prophet. I'm going to instruct you in the good and right way. And so he says in verse 24, and this is how God delivers, only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, For consider what great things he has done for you. And then he gives a little warning. Warnings are good. But if you still do wickedly, both you and your king will be swept away. So he encourages them, but he also is an exhorter because he warns them as well with God's warning to them. Fear the Lord and serve him with all your heart and consider what great things he has done for you. It was time for them to start reflecting on what good things God had done for them. You see, we neglect to do that sometimes, don't we? Some of those times when we start to turn aside is because we haven't taken the time to reflect on all the good things that God's done for us. We start thinking there's something better out there. He starts, though, by saying, what? Fear the Lord. Reverence the Lord. A godly fear is good. Look, don't fear anybody who can only kill your body, but he who can kill your soul. That's... You know, we call it reverence fear, but it's still a little scary thing to think that somebody can take your soul and that's it. Okay? Have that kind of fear. Know who God is. Know what He could do. Having that kind of fear. Secondly, serve the Lord with all of your heart. All of your heart. And that's part of it. All of your heart. Thirdly, think about the great things He's done for you. So, so you think about the great things you've done for me. Now, some of you might be living in a tough time right now and you're thinking, He hasn't done anything that great for me lately. I'm struggling here. Really? 
I don't mean to minimize whatever problems you may have right now. I understand. I've been in terrible situations. I've been in times where my children ate peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for dinner or maybe pancakes. I understand difficult times. But even when we're in the most difficult time of our life, you can think about things that God has done for you. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org. The Lord, verse 22, will not abandon his people. Sometimes we, we go to futile things because we think, well, maybe God's given up on me. Maybe, maybe he doesn't want to deal with me anymore because I've just failed one too many times. But even here, Samuel reminds the people that God is faithful. He will not abandon his people on account of his great name because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for himself. He chose you and he's not going to give up on you. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should, should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, but I will instruct you in the good and right way. Samuel says, I'm not giving up on you either. I'm going to continue to pray for you because if I didn't, I would sin against the Lord. This brings up an interesting question in 1 Samuel 12:23, and it's this. It, it brings up the idea of a sin of omission. It would be sinful not to pray for you, said Samuel. I just want, to, I want us just to think about that because so many of us as Christians wrestle and struggle with prayer in our prayer life. Could it be that failing to pray is a sin of omission? Well, it goes on to say, Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great ways or what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, here's the warning, both you and your king shall be swept away. You know, we know that Saul's story does not end well, and the people continue to rebel as the Bible unfolds. They had times when they would return to the Lord, but many times when they were captivated by uh, the wrong ways and, and did go the wrong way. And their story is not unique because it's the story of so many of us, it's the story of nations, but it's the story of individual Christians as well. We get so caught up in human solutions and we think, well, this, this, this political leader will do it, or this, this will do it. If we just can appease you know, this, this false god, then we can get our crops and our rain. And, and Samuel's saying, no, no, that's not the way to do things. The first thing, the most important thing, is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And God will add all these things back to you. Thank you for listening to today's program. Our mission is to get the truth of God's Word out. This is our passion. We want to impact as many people as possible. And we have an opportunity to expand this radio program, and we need you, the listener, to partner with us in prayer and in giving. You can give to our ministry through our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org.